Good evening, good to see you all tonight. Appreciate you being here. We're going to be in the Word of God in Luke chapter 10. If you brought your Bibles, you would find your place with me. Luke chapter 10, verse number 38 and following is where we'll read tonight. A few weeks ago, I was scrolling through my files of sermon notes. It's more like a Rolodex. One day, I'll, one day I'll transfer over to the technology of our day. But until then, I'll still use the spiral notebook. And uh, I came across a, a sermon outlet, uh, outline that I'd preached or, or taught a lesson in, in our Sunday school hour about a year and a half ago, almost two years ago now, at the beginning of our missions conference. And if you were here and you remember it, I'll give you an A plus in your studious listening. But it was the, right after Brother Moore had left to go to Africa, and we had a video of him, and he spoke with us, and he stole a lot of my time. I'm a little bit offended still about it. And uh, he gave me about 13 minutes to teach a 45-minute lesson. And I, I kept it within that time. It was a miracle. But I came across it the other day. And it was just what I needed. And so I actually, I preached it recently in one of the nursing homes. And it's been on my heart, been on my mind. And so if you remember it from a year and eight months ago or so, you can tune me out. But otherwise, let's see what we can learn from the Word of God tonight. If you have your place in Luke chapter number 10, if you would stand with me. And we'll read together beginning in verse number 38. The Bible says, Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. We're going to look at the subject and consider choosing the good part. That's what Jesus said about Mary. She had chosen a good part. There was something good that she had chosen. She had claimed she had made her own. In the midst of a busy situation, much was taking place, many things were happening, but Mary chose something better, she chose something best, she chose that good part. And I want to encourage us tonight to do the same thing. Let's pray together. Father, as we come now to the preaching of your word, we submit ourselves to you, Lord, knowing that your way is best. And we ask you to take our minds and our hearts and lead them in truth, guide them in your oracles and in your words. And may we be drawn closer to the cross and made more like the Savior. And may you get all the glory for what's said and done tonight. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If we were to look back through these verses, we could see a great... Distinction between both Martha and Mary. 
We don't know a lot about their character or their actions based upon the, the, the New Testament. There's only a few references to them. These are those same sisters who had a brother named Lazarus. We're familiar with that story where Lazarus died and Jesus came and revived him. We find both of them in that situation asking Jesus the same question or almost chiding with him as they said, Jesus, if you'd have been here, um, Lazarus wouldn't have died. You could have healed him. But Martha continued to just press the issue and Jesus began to uh, explain to her and tell her that he's the resurrection. And she says, I know you're the resurrection and one day he'll rise, but we're talking about today, this situation. You could have been here and saved him. And Jesus goes on to explain, no, 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 Martha, I'm the resurrection today as well. And then when he went to Mary, he begins to speak to Mary. And she asks the same question or presents the same case, Jesus, if you'd have been here. And we find her just kind of in a state of weeping and she's okay. She just wanted to tell Jesus about it. And then we find that, that famous verse where it says just simply Jesus wept. Almost as if he knew that all she needed was someone to cry with her. We see a difference in their personalities. Martha was a very much a go-getter. She, she was the business type. She was the type that could get it done. She was one that if you asked her to do you a favor or get something accomplished, I think you could have trusted her to do it. We don't know much about Mary, except you probably wouldn't have asked her because it might have been hard to have a conversation with her. She seemed to be kind of the quiet and shy type. But outside of their personalities, we see something about their deeper life with the Lord. Here in this text that we read tonight, we find where Martha served, Mary just sat. We see where Martha spoke, Mary listened. Martha was careful, and Mary was carefree. Martha, she was alone, but Mary had enough. Martha was anxious, and Mary was at peace. While Martha was fretting, Mary was focused. Martha, we see her self-centeredness, and Mary was Christ-centered. And while Martha worked, Mary worshipped. Let's look over these couple verses just very briefly, and then we'll get to the heart of the message. It says in verse number 39 that she sat, talking about Mary, which sat at Jesus' feet and heard his words. She was sitting and listening. As we sang that song just a minute ago, she was focused on hearing from the word of God, hearing the words of God. It says, but Martha was cumbered. She was burdened. She was, she was carrying all these concerns about what was taking place. And she was serving. She was busy. Not a bad thing. She was serving. And it, she, she came to Jesus, though. There, there was more bothering her than just the chores not getting done. Because she questions Jesus about his concern and says, Lord, dost thou not care? And my sister hath left me. She felt like she was alone. To serve alone. The end of verse 40, it says, bid her, encourage her, tell her, therefore, that she help me. And then Jesus answered, speaking to Martha, and says, thou art careful, you're full of care and trouble. You're troubled about not just this thing, but many things. You're overwhelmed, you're, you're carrying the load that isn't meant to be carried. And then he finishes by saying, Mary hath chosen this good part, which shall not be taken away from her. I think all of us are familiar with a 
time where maybe we have company coming over. Uh, we just experienced this a couple months ago in our church. We were preparing for the preacher's conference, and we had an extra year to plan, and the extra year solved none of our problems. All the things that should have been done a year ago were getting done two weeks before the conference, and we did the same thing two year, three years ago before the last conference, and I don't remember it fully, but I assume if history is a good teller of what has taken place in our church, two years prior to that, we were doing the same thing. As we were scrambling to get things done, because we wanted everything to be in order and prepared, we've all done it. I remember a couple years ago, we had a missionary come over to our home, and either myself or my wife said, we should do this more often. We, I got all my chores done, my, the things I've been trying to get done over the last several months. The house is spotless, and we did it all in one afternoon. Amaz amazing how your vision changes when there's someone coming. Well, imagine with me if Jesus was going to be your house guest. He was coming for a visit. And you were in charge of getting the house in order. You were in charge of getting the meal prepared. And you wanted everything to be just perfect. You wanted it to be just right for Christ to enter into your house and enjoy himself. But your sister... She's not helping at all. She's not cleaning. She's not cooking. She's not washing. She's not preparing. She is absolutely no help to you. Well, that's where Martha was. She, she was experiencing this, this distraught feeling of no one's helping me get the job done. And I think we've all been there before. Maybe in your family, you felt like you were carrying the load of parental or, or the, the, the responsibilities of the marriage. Maybe in your business you felt like you were carrying the load where other employees weren't helping. Maybe in your ministry or in the church you felt like I'm doing all this work in this, this area of ministry and no one seems to be helping me. And you found yourself, and I think so many others have found themselves just like Mary, where they're overwhelmed and they're perplexed. And many people, or at least I've, I've seen multiple people, I think for this very reason, get out of the ministry. She had lost the sight of what was really important while Mary maintained it. We're going to look at five things tonight that Mary did that was different than Martha. Number one, she did not let the good of business pre prevent her devotion to the Lord. See, the, the things that Martha were doing were good. They were acceptable. It, it was a necessary uh, priority in her life, and that's okay, but at the moment, it had so, such little value. It wasn't that important compared to fellowshipping with Christ. It, it wasn't that important when you really considered getting things prepared for Jesus or spending time with Jesus. The choir sang that song. It was a very fitting song, an enjoyable song, but may I remind you that Heaven is not the only time you'll get to spend time with your Savior. You can spend time today with Him. You could have spent time this morning with Him. You could have spent time yesterday with Him and every day prior to that. And as an encouragement tonight, you still can spend time with Him this evening and tomorrow and the next day. Mary was not going to allow the business of this life even though they were important, even though they were priorities, even though it may be something she was responsible for, she wasn't going to let that sidetrack her from her devotion to the Lord. She was going to focus on Him first. 
Matthew 6.33, we're all familiar with this verse when Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Before all other things, seek Christ first. Seek his kingdom, seek his will, seek his pleasure. Before your pleasure, before your will, before your things, seek his. I wonder tonight if we could ask the question, what good things are preventing you? What good things are preventing me from true devotion to Christ? And even worse, what things that are not even acceptable things keeping us from devoting time to Christ? Number one, she didn't let the good of business prevent her devotion to the Lord. Number two, she valued the words of Christ. Matthew 4, 4 says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Turn over to John chapter number 6 with me. John 6 is where Jesus comes to the meat and potatoes of his, his ministry. He begins to give the people very strong teachings about himself, about the need for them to, and he uses the phrase, eat of his, his flesh and drink of his blood, and they, they just don't know how to handle those words. They, they, they're just perplexed at what he's speaking of. Well, he's talking about just receiving him and his words and his, his life. Not just being a, a spectator, but being a participant. And then in uh, John chapter 6 and verse number 26, speaking of the feeding of the five thousands, Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. <laughs> not much has changed over the years. He says, you're not here for the word, you're not here for the ministry, you're not here for the miracles, you're here for lunch. You came to follow me because you were hoping you were going to get a free meal out of it. And then look at verse 27, he says, labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life. He says to these people, you've got your priorities all mixed up, you're laboring after the temporal and you failed to pursue and desire the eternal. See, Mary valued the words that we have. Matthew 6, verse 21 says, Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I wonder tonight how we value this book. Is it really our desire? Is it really our longing? We sang the song a moment ago, Speak, Lord. But is our desire truly that God would speak? Because he's given us his word. He's given us the word of truth. And he's given us the teacher of the book, the author of the book, the Holy Spirit, that he might lead us and guide us in truth. But have we pursued it? Do you personally pursue it? I wasn't here for the lesson this morning, but I'm sure it was good. Because so often we do fail to do more than just read the words. I was talking to Brother Jedediah a few weeks ago, and now I laugh every time I even remotely think about this. We were talking about in our um, daily Bible reading, mine's in here somewhere, I think, about times you, you lose track of where you are and you start reading and you say, oh man, I read the wrong chapter. Now I got to reread, I reread re the thing I read yesterday. As if, you know, that's some kind of a bad thing. Now I got to read an extra chapter. Or we say to ourselves, oh, 50 verses? I got to read a 50 verse chapter as if, you know, as if we're really sacrificing for the Lord. I'm sure the martyrs in heaven are looking down and just, you know, pitying us in our great sacrifice. 
Do we value the words of Christ? Do we long to get into this book? And when we get into the book, are we, are we hungering after truth? Not just after the words, not just after the good stories, but are we seeking the example and are we seeking the truth that God wants to take and place into our lives and change us and transform us? I believe that's what Mary was doing. She was sitting there attentive. Can you imagine Martha's expression? You, you know how it is when someone's upset with you and you can just feel it? I mean, Martha is just... She's got a bone to pick with Mary, but as far as we know, Mary has no idea. She is just as focused and engaged upon Jesus' words. She doesn't know what's going on. She can't, you know, she can't hear the vacuum cleaner running. She can't hear the dishwasher going. She can't feel the mood of Martha because she's engaged in hearing the words of Christ. She valued the words of Christ. Number three, she was content with silent listening. Listen to what Psalm 104 and verse 34 says. My meditation of him shall be sweet. I will be glad in the Lord. And then again, David writes in Psalm 119, 97, Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. He says, David says, all the day long, I just enjoy meditating on you, Lord. I, I love to just think upon you and ponder the works of God and the words of God and the glories of God. And he says, my, the meditation of you is sweet. It's enjoyable. It's refreshing. It's satisfying. I think as, as Mary sat there, that quiet time, that just focused and intent time, it was just such a, a relief to her. It was a sweetness to her. Is sitting quietly in the presence of God something that's sweet to you? You know, if Jesus were to come after services and we could have some time with him, I think we'd all line up. But in fact, he invites us daily to come into his presence. And he desires and instructs us in scripture to go into, as he calls it, our closet, just somewhere where we can get alone, where we can tune out the things of this world and find ourselves quiet so we can focus and just enjoy his presence. Mary enjoyed the meditation, this prayerful meditation where she could just listen and hear the word and, and relax and enjoy the presence of God. Number four, she did not carry her burdens. See, Martha, the Bible says, was cumbered about and troubled with many things. She was carrying the load and the pressure of all the responsibilities. And I don't think Mary was lazy. I don't think she was shirking her responsibility. But she, she just, the, all these cares, all these concerns, to her were petty nonsense when there was an opportunity to be in the presence of the Lord. Peter says in Chapter 5, verse 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. See, Jesus wants us to cast all of our care upon him. This, this world is full of cares, and sometimes these, we pick up these cares. We, uh, we go through life, and the cares just kind of stick to us. I was talking about the hitchhikers, cockaburros, whatever you call them, the little beggar lice, some people call them, that you pick up in the woods. I remember, as long as he's a senior and getting ready to go to college, Peyton, him and I were fishing when he was a little boy, and he walked through and just picked up his leg. Just, I mean, they just stuck to him, all down his leg. 
And he looked down and he goes, Ugh, um, chiggers, I hate chiggers. I said, Peyton, those are hitchhikers. He goes, oh, I hate hitchhikers. You ever, you ever been in the wood and you walk through those and I mean, they just, they're sticking to you and you're, I mean, it, they stick on fast and they come off slow. Sometimes in life, we go through life and the cares of this world, we just kind of pick them up. And see, if you're not careful, <laughs> no pun intended, if you're not careful, you go through and these little bitty petty ones stick to you, right? Something little happens. You leave for work and this is my concern. You know, you spill my coffee going out the door. A tri trials and tribulations, the testings of our faith. And then, you know, you get down the road and, and someone pulls out in front of you. And then, you know, you hit the, every stoplight between here and the end of the highway. And, 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 and they're all very small. But if you don't learn to cast those small cares on and you start picking those up, a bunch of little cares all of a sudden become heavy cares. And that's why you have people that go through life that any little bitty trial, any little thing, they snap at, they holler, they scream, they panic. And you think, good night. Did you just, you know, that was nothing. That was something so similar. And, and then there are other people, you know, something, you would think a, a, just a great catastrophe comes their way. And they just smile and say, praise the Lord. And you say, what's the difference? I think the difference is that other person learned to take those cares that they can't change, that are out of their control, and just say, Lord, this is, this is yours. I think that's what Mary was doing. She, she was saying all these things, these chores, these needs, all these things, we'll get to them later. Let's just spend time with the Lord. Let, let's just rest in the presence of God. Let's take these cares and let's give them to the Lord. And if he wants us to clean the house, he'll probably let us know the house is too dirty for him to come in. But unless he says so, let's just fellowship with him. God give us some believers who would learn to take their cares. And I'm not minimizing your cares. All of us have them and some are heavier and, and harder than others. But there is no care or no burden that Jesus is, is unable to take off your shoulders and carry for you. But you've got to take the responsibility and turn it over to him. And lastly, and maybe the most important point of this lesson and the message tonight. She chose this way of life. Look at verse number 42 again in our text in Luke chapter 10. It says, one thing is needful. This is Jesus talking. And Mary hath chosen that good part. See, this wasn't something that was forced upon her. This, was, this isn't something that was unavailable to her it was something there present but she had to choose it <clears throat> turn with me in the old testament to the book of deuteronomy deuteronomy is a book that just kind of recaps the time of the nation of israel between egypt and the promised land and frequently we see something similar to this passage deuteronomy chapter 30 we see where Jesus, or, or God himself, speaking to the people, gives them opportunities to receive him or reject him, and with those opportunities to receive a blessing or a curse. And he begins, or will begin in verse number 11, Deuteronomy 30, verse 11. It says, For this commandment which I commanded thee this day, it is not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that thou shouldest say, Who shall go up for us? to heaven and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it 
beyond the sea, that thou shouldest say, Who shall go over the sea for us and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it? He says, let me remind you, first of all, before I give you these commands, he says, these are not something you can one day say. Well, these are heavenly commands. They're too far away. We can't fulfill them. We can't receive them. Someone will have to go get them for, you, for us. They're not hidden from you. They're not obscure. He said, I'm going to give them here to you. They'll be in your heart. They'll be in your mind. You have the opportunity to receive them or reject them. But you can't make any excuses. They're available. And he goes on in verse number 14. But the word is very nigh unto thee in thy mouth and in thy heart that thou mayest do it. See, I set before you, uh, before thee this day life and good and death and evil. And that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments that thou mayest live and multiply, and the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. Verse 17, But if thine heart turn away so that thou wilt not hear, but shall be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce unto you this day that ye shall surely perish, and that ye shall not prolong your days upon the land whither thou goest over Jordan to, to go to possess it. He says, if you follow me, I promise to bless you. I promise to go with thee and lead thee and give you the, 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 the fullness of my spirit and of my will. But if you reject and, and refuse, he said, I'm going to have to punish you like a child. I'm going to have to discipline you. For I love you. And then in verse 19, he says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you. That I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Listen to this, he says, therefore choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and that thou mayest obey his voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto him. I love this phrase, he says, for he is thy life, and the length of thy days, that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give them. He says, therefore choose life. Why would you choose death over life? Why would you choose a curse over a blessing? Why would you choose the forsaking of God upon your life over the hand of protection and the providence of God over your life? But he says, in fact, that you, get the, you get the decision. Now we jump to the New Testament and I ask Mary, Mary, why would you choose cleaning and cooking and business over fellowship with the Savior? Why would you choose the responsibilities of this world over the fellowship with your master and Lord? But I think we've got to ask ourselves sometimes, why do I choose my hobbies and my activities and my passions and all my pleasures over the fellowship of the Savior? Why do I choose time with family and friends and even ministry and work over time with the Lord. You say, well, I have so much responsibility. I have so many things I need to get done. Can I remind you that there's nothing on this earth needing to get done that's more important than time with the Lord? There's no ministry. There's no family time. There's no company. There's no anything that's more important than your obligation and your responsibility to spend time with the Lord. And by the way, as a believer, the blessings and fullness and help that God wants to give us 
will not come as we seek to labor for him or for his cause without time with him. I was talking to the teens this morning about... What did we talk about in class this morning? I expect you to remember what I, I teach. I don't even remember what I teach. Counsel. That was the word. They got it. Counsel for $500. Good counsel is necessary in all of our lives. I reminded them and I candidly and openly say to you that as a preacher, as a teacher, as a dad, as a husband... I'm not smart enough, I'm not spiritual enough, I'm not wise enough to do a good job in any of these areas. And I told them, I said, I'm not, I don't read the Bible because I'm spiritual. I read the Bible because I'm so carnal, I can't make it without it. I'm not, I don't pray because I'm extra spiritual. I pray because I know I'm so weak without it. Sometimes people act like, well, I'm just, you know, that's, that's kind of this deeper life, extra spiritual. That's not for me. Well, it's more for you than anybody, if that's how you feel about it. To think, to, to have so much self and ego and pride, to act as though I can raise my family and lead the ministry and be a good friend and be an employee and, and be a good citizen without the help of God is not only foolish, but it, it takes a whole lot of pride. Mary said, uh-uh, not me, I'm, I'm giving up. I'm just going to surrender to Christ and spend time with him. I'm going to let him have his way. She chose this way of life. See, God has all the resources available to us. When he died on the cross, you remember the veil in the temple was rent from the top to the bottom. No need for a priest, no need for a tabernacle, no need for a temple. We have access to the Father through prayer. Jesus is our advocate. He stands in the gap. The Holy Spirit is there to even help with the, the groanings that cannot be uttered. You say, I don't even know what to pray for. That's okay. You have the Spirit of God who communicates the groanings of your heart with the Father. We've got the Word of God to lead us. And we've got Him as our teacher to direct us. We have no excuses. We stand like the children of Israel where he says, the blessing and the curse is before you. Choose life. Choose Christ. Let's think of just four things and we'll wrap up with this. That I would encourage you to make a priority in your life. First of all, commit to the word of God. If you don't have a specific time and a schedule by which you read the word of God, get one. Start tonight. Get some type of schedule. You say, well, I, I, don't, I don't think I could read through the Bible in a year. Well, can you read through the New Testament in a year? Can you read through the book of John in a year? Can you read one page tonight? We could all do that. Start somewhere if you're not currently reading. And don't just start and don't just say, I need to read my Bible. Commit to the Word of God. Where you make this your priority. Several years ago... Right down here, I made a commitment I'd read every day. Again, not because I'm extra spiritual, but I was encouraged and reminded how much I need this word. And there were a couple, I can remember a couple nights, I don't know if you've ever done this, I woke up at about 11 o'clock and realized I hadn't spent any time in the word of God. 
So I always read Psalm 117. It's two verses. <laughs> right? And you get your chapter in for the day. And there have been times like that. But nearly every day, sometime in the morning, sometime throughout the day, I get in this book. Not because I'm extra spiritual, but I need this book. I need this word. And I, it's not just about needing, I want this word. Paul said, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. There's something within me that desires to hear the word of God. And the best way you can get to know Christ is through his word. Commit to the word of God. Number two, take or rather make time for prayer. If you don't have a place of prayer or a time when you pray, and it doesn't have to be the same time every, every day. It doesn't have to be the same place every day. But there needs to be places and times where you can set aside from your busy life and get on your knees and get in a quiet place. If you're unable to get on your knees, find a chair, find a seat, find a place where you can submit to the counsel and the will of God and just seek Him. We're not going to turn there tonight, but you remember that what sometimes is called the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer. Jesus says, um, you know, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done as earth is in, as in heaven. Give us the, this day our daily bread. He says all that, and by the way, that, I, I think we're all aware, we, that's not to be repeated, that's just a model, and it, it ought to be more than what he said, that's just kind of an outline. But you go all the way into it. There's times of worship. You acknowledge that God's our Father. He's our provider. He's hallowed. He's, he, he ought to be honored. He ought to be worshipped as God and Savior and Master and Lord. And you spend some time doing that. And it's a good thing for anybody. And then it's later on in the prayer where you ask for anything. Give us this day our daily bread. And even beyond that is when he says that we ought to pray, forgive us our debts. Most people's prayer life is like this. Emergency comes up, or maybe not most, but many people. Emergency arises. I go to my prayer closet, find a prayer place, and I spend the majority of the time confessing how I haven't prayed, and I have no fellowship with God, and I'm sorry, but can you help me here? What a shallow Christian life that is. What a shallow prayer life that is. You know, prayer ought to be something we're daily fellowshipping with God. And when, when tragedy strikes, it shouldn't be something new where all of a sudden, oh no, I have to pray. Instead, it's, God, I'm glad my relationship with you is good. Father, here's what I need. I think we're all aware of this. If you are married or have parents or have children, I think that pretty well hits all of us. You know that there have been times in your family life where something was amiss between you and a family member, right? I'm not going to ask you to tell me when or where or to what extent. But it's happened to all of us. And the closer you are to that person, the harder it is to, to extend the amount of time by which it's not resolved. See, you can get mad at your neighbor or another church member... And you can go a long time without getting it right. You can just sit on different sides of the auditorium. I'm not going to say anything about the couples that are sitting on different sides right now. Um, you can avoid them, you know, leave for work early, 
Don't look at them when they're mowing the grass. But when you're upset with your wife, it's hard to, it's hard to avoid her, right? It's hard to avoid your brother or your sister. If you have a relationship with Christ and you, you let sin in, it immediately separates that relationship. And you have a decision, either I'm going to continue the relationship by getting it right, or I'm going to postpone this. And immediately the, the, the closeness, the fellowship dies. Now that doesn't, you're, you're a Christian, you're, you're saved, you're, you're in the family of God, but there's, there's something in between. And your, your prayers aren't sweet after that, until you get it right. See, the, the, the method or the example that I think the Bible teaches is that as we go throughout our day and we, if we have a close relationship with Christ, the moment we sin, the Spirit of God is smitten. And we feel the pressure of that sin. We feel the pain of that sin. And we immediately look for a place that I can go and say, God, that was wrong. Those words I said were wrong. That action was wrong. That thought was wrong. And I need forgiveness. That's why the model prayer isn't beginning by, God, all these sins I need to confess so you'll hear my prayer. If prayer is a daily part of our life, we can follow the model prayer as it was meant to be followed. Because as you get close to God, he might start revealing things you didn't even know existed. And by the time you get down through those steps, all of a sudden you realize in the presence of a holy God, there are things that you need to take care of. Number three, learn to meditate quietly. This is something we don't talk about much, though I think Pastor preached a full sermon of it a few weeks ago, about the need for meditation. And I'm not talking about some kind of weird, spooky, you know, levitating experience. I'm talking about just getting, setting aside time. Maybe it's, I encourage you to do it in the morning or at night. And a peaceful time when everyone's, maybe the kids are in bed and you can step aside and quietly just focus on the Lord. You don't even have to have your Bible open. And just think about the goodness of God. Think about the blessings of God. Think about the holiness of God. I think that was part of what Mary was doing as she just sat. She didn't need to talk. She just wanted to listen and reflect. And finally, notice the glories of God. Notice the opportunities where God wants to speak. See, this was a, a, an opportunity for both Martha and Mary, but only Mary noticed it. I think we've all been with people or, or seen people where it just seems like no matter what, there's always a, a time for them to glorify God through it. It's not that their life is different than ours and that there's opportunities. It's that they've found the opportunities and chosen them. Let's be like Mary and let's choose that good part, and choose Christ. And as was said in the Old Testament, choose life. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you tonight as your people. And we admit that there are times in our life where we allow this great honor to fellowship with thee, to become forsaken and our love for you to wax cold. Father, tonight I pray that you would help us to revive our passion for thee. Lord, you know that you've called us to many works and many things, but 
I pray that you would help us to discern between that which is good and that which is best. And we would choose this good part. We would choose Christ over any action or activity. Lord, help me in my personal walk with you to be growing and to be zealous. That you might be magnified and glorified in it. And Lord, as a church, may this be our passion and our desire to draw our attention to you and draw near the cross. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed tonight, as the piano plays, maybe you sit there and say, you know, there are areas of my life that I've allowed to become very cold or complacent in your fellowship with Christ, whether it be in your devotion to Him in the Word of God or in prayer, maybe just magnifying Him and seeing the splendor and glories of His handiwork. I encourage you tonight to make a point with God as your help to choose this way of life. Not just a temporary or one-time action, but may it become our lifestyle that we would long for the presence and the glories of God that He might be magnified through our life. Let's make that decision. Let's choose that. Maybe you're here tonight and you say, I've never experienced Christ in any way. I don't know him, as you talked about, as a savior and as a friend. If you've never been born again tonight, that's your greatest need. You can't know the fellowship with Christ without receiving him first as your savior. But as your savior, he can then become your friend. And I invite you to come. Maybe... You need help with that. You need someone to talk with. I invite you to come. Let's seek the Lord. Let's obey Him.